So Lord, please help us to listen. To hear what it is you're saying. I, I've, I've been, um, I'm getting to teach a course at, uh, at U of R right now, which is fun. And Dr. Bledsoe. And um, I really got interested in, again, in that Isaiah passage in Isaiah's call, where he says, um, you know, talk to these people and say, hear, but, and hear, but don't hear, and uh, see and see, but don't perceive. And how long is that going to last until the till the whole city lies desolate. Um, the, the, and then in his parables, where he first explains why he teaches from parables in the, uh, in the parable of the sower, which is this incredible um, story about the seed, he talks about, uh, Jesus says, you know, I'm speaking in riddles um, to people who don't get this stuff but I'm inviting you to go deeper and to try to see more clearly and to hear more directly. It's, a, it's an invitation. And the suggestion is our problem is that we don't see and we don't hear. That it's not, uh, that that's, that is the diagnosis uh, of a lot of what we're doing and the invitation is to see and hear. I won't talk today about Metropolitan Richmond's Commonwealth. The Commonwealth and how it can be accessible to all of the 1.3 million citizens of this metropolitan city. Now, you all know a city is something that you see from the air. God is in heaven. He looks down and he sees a city. He does not see jurisdictional boundaries. He's, he sees an economic entity. A city is, in fact, to human beings what a beehive is to bees. It's a, it is actually an organic entity, and every city in the world has many of the same elements. It's, it, it's something that human beings form, and it is, in fact, the bearer of the common wealth of the community. Jesus' preaching begins with this statement, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, and each day we continue to pray as he directed, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our job as citizens of the kingdom... And, and by the way, try translating the word servant as used by Jesus in the New Testament as citizen. Try working on that. It's not a, it's not a passive um, thing. Try, try that translation. Our job as citizens of the kingdom in a society which at least purports to distribute responsibility for government to all is to help bring in the kingdom. Of course, there are rich and poor. Those are, by the way, that's not the triple crossing. I wish it were, but I do. But I do appreciate it. Um, Arja, um, of course, there are rich and poor, and in fact, there always will be. Um, and of course, there are always people in need of something or someone. In fact, need is the plowed ground of the garden of God. That's what puts us together. Today we're going to talk briefly about four areas of need 
in the metropolitan city of Richmond. Poverty, education, housing, transportation. But to speak to them, we have to repent. That is, we have to be willing to see what we may not have seen. Metanoia, that's to renew your way of seeing things, to hear what we've not heard. And in each of these four areas of need, we must observe not only the situations of difficulty for individuals, we must also observe the laws that our fellow citizens have put in place to make the situation worse. I know the guys who wrote them. <laughs> and in many cases, and some of them are praying for us right now because they're ashamed. And in many cases, the efforts of those citizens who have been working to right these wrongs uh, that have been deliberately created. Now, slavery was an economic system. It determined who would be able to be a part of the economy and who would not. That's what it did. Either you were an eater or you were eaten. That's how it worked economically. Um, half the people of Richmond were condemned to serve the other half. And in Virginia, by law, the distinction was race to decide which half you were in. Just real simple, and we made laws that way. Segregation was an economic system. It determined who could have what jobs, what education, where you could live, where your opportunities and benefits were in the Commonwealth. And between 1960 and 1975, the state of Virginia deliberately replaced its system of racial segregation with with a new discriminatory economic system. It was done on purpose. And it allowed its cities to be carved up into separate parts with different economies, different sub-economies. And that was deliberately done. It was a new form of structural discrimination which divided the Commonwealth. Now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a conservative economist, believe it. Um, Adam Smith would not have approved of this, straight out. And by the way, the top American expert on Adam Smith lives in the next block down here. If you want him to talk to you, I'll, I'll get him to come. Um, because he said, you know, the surprising thing is, if people work for their own benefit in a collective environment, they often benefit others. This is a simple, straightforward statement. Now, there are two kinds of wealth, individual wealth and commonwealth, and the citizen of America lives in the land of the greatest commonwealth in the world. No matter how badly individual wealth is distributed, it is true that immigrants and refugees from all over the world still want to come here because of the opportunity that's available from this commonwealth. But on the ground, for every person in America, the key areas of commonwealth the key area of commonwealth is what we call a city. When you carve up a city, you carve up the commonwealth. I'm telling you, the folks in the legislature knew that's what they were doing. And in our time, beginning with the General Assembly's acts to deliberately counter the Civil Rights Revolution, the major strategy was to allow the city to spread into four major jurisdictions, Richmond, Henrico, Chesterfield, and Hanover, and the former law of annexation, which allowed the boundaries of the political and economic city, the bear of commonwealth, to grow as the physical city grew, which was the law. You could, 
expand your boundaries each time the physical city grew. That law was rescinded and Richmond City was left as a separate district of 62 square miles in a total city of 1,200 square miles. So it's 5% of the land with, at the time, now 20% of the population. Surrounded by three districts, um, Chesterfield and Henrico. Chesterfield's about 400, Henrico's about 270, uh, Hanover's about 400, so comes to 1,200. You cannot effectively, and I just have to keep saying this because we act like we're idiots sometimes, you cannot effectively address any of the issues we discussed today unless you try, unless you recognize this fundamental vehicle of injustice. And conversely, any efforts that you take which can soften the violence of this division of commonwealth will alleviate structural inequity and knit together the kingdom of God in metropolitan Richmond. So let's talk about poverty for a minute. We define poverty now effectively as the inability to function on your own in the economy of the metropolitan city. So at least 25% of Richmond City's households are seriously poor. Uh, Richmond City, this one jurisdiction, has half the poverty of the metropolitan city although it's growing in the counties, and it has one-fifth of the population, so the percentages are really different. And because of 400 years of openly racial policy in Virginia, poverty is primarily black. The recently published extremely important book, The Color of Law, is it, who's read that here? Okay, if you haven't, I said, this side's better than that side. Okay, The Color of Law, really important book, and very lucid and very easy to read confirms and identifies this, this stunning fact that from 1930 to 1980, the federal government got into housing production and funded a national housing policy which specifically was rental for blacks and ownership for whites. Very specific. And the result today of that horrifying policy, and this is part of what we're, we know we're dealing with today, is that the national median wealth of black households, now wealth is, you know, <laughs> what you have in the bank or in your house or something other than your current income. The national median wealth of black households is under $5,000. In fact, two seems to be the number we're using right now. And the national median wealth of white households is $116,500. Uh, that's an awful place to try to build equity from. And that's where we are. So we, we have to know it, understand it. Uh, you may be able to equalize some incomes. But this wealth disparity, as you know, functions in a powerful way. And it's true here in Metro Richmond. The greatest poverty is concentrated among African-American citizens. And here in Metro Richmond and in most cities, it's jammed into specific physical areas as well. All of the public housing projects in Metropolitan Richmond are in this one jurisdiction. And uh, by the way, it's the sixth highest concentration of public housing in the country here. 
Now, in this area of poverty and the other three areas we address, working on one sector of an issue actually affects the other. So if you want to address structural poverty, Metro Richmond, you'll address barriers to employment. You'll address, uh, you'll work to integrate schools and give educators the support and resources they need. <coughs> you'll help to produce, <coughs> produce and spread the location of low-income housing throughout the metropolitan area. And you'll get public transportation to cover all of metropolitan Richmond so that all employment and housing and public services, all the Commonwealth, is actually accessible to all. Now, Commonwealth I can't get to is not Commonwealth. Duh. Um, and by the way, the, the media environment um, <clears throat> deceives us on that. I mean, we act as if the media, you know, was real and you could eat it or walk on it. You can't. And you can't get employed by it. All you can do is learn what some theory is. But if you literally can't get to the university, it's not your university. All right, so let's talk about poverty. Um, here's what's going on in the Office of Community Wealth Building in the city of Richmond. Reggie Gordon, who directs it, says that there are really hundreds of citizens coming into the office there now looking for jobs. And <clears throat> he defines his task. Now, the average income in public housing, and, you know, we have... Um, four or five uh, projects here in, in Churchill, depending on how you define Mosby, um, and we have eight in the city. So um, the average income in public housing is somewhere ten to $13,000 a year. Um, Reggie, uh, in a, but we have an Office of Community Wealth Building. It's an incredible thing. I mean, that's uh, Dwight Jones, as mayor, decided we needed a poverty initiative and really went into it. This is a result of it. <clears throat> Reggie says that um, his target is, is for people to get a living wage or some way to survive on what they make. Um, so jobs are the issue for poverty, number one job, and um, it, you need about 30000 a year now for a household. Uh, minimum wage um, doesn't pay you that. You know, it's uh, seven, was it seven thirty-five? It's around 14000 So that's a, in an hourly wage, a target of a fifteen eighty-eight an hour. Um, and to get to that kind of leap, you need training and access to employment. Um, Reggie's, um, the last year, 705 heads of households, um, Reggie says, that he knew of or they were working with, moved from, from for some form of crisis toward what they call thriving. That is, they're not out of poverty, but they're having incremental increases in wages on a trajectory to be free. Um, they work with intensive case managers um, and career advisors. Uh, Reggie thinks that um, he'd love to see um, churches uh, work as uh, sponsor mentors to work with families, not in this big group of 10 or 12 people, but one or two people functioning then with the support of staff. There's actually an excellent national program called LIFT that uh, can help organize this that he's looking at right now. Um, so um, that's, um, that's the poverty situation, just a little piece of the poverty situation. Our problem is um, that you should know black poverty is concentrated, white poverty isn't. Thanks, Richard. <clears throat> 
So um, if you're poor and white in Richmond, you probably live around a diverse group of incomes. If you're poor and black in Richmond, you probably live right in one, one set area with a whole lot of other poor people, which makes your life tougher. And um, education, let me say, um, whew. Okay, so the main reason for the, the shenanigans of the state between 60 and 75 was to keep schools segregated. That's why they divided this pie up. Once the feds told us that we had to integrate our schools, Virginia had to find some other way to keep them segregated. And they did that. Um, it's, uh, it's by, then it was by race and income. Now it tends more to be by income, but it's still pretty powerful. Even in the counties, your schools tend to be segregated by where people of different income can live because what we've done is to create a situation um, where our neighborhoods are vastly segregated by income. Uh, America sifted its population into, into income areas in a powerful way. Here in the city of Richmond, um, you know, I'm so tired of front page stories on the Times-Dispatch who is muchly responsible for our present situation um, over the last 50 years. But what, what has happened is you have a tremendous concentration of poverty in your schools um, and, and of, uh, of race. And the result of this, anywhere, it, nobody knew how to, how to really deal with this. And as the black middle class left the city, um, that helped um, to create this concentration of poverty. But um, we've ended up with a, with a situation that's extremely difficult. We need $800 million in capital because of the deferred capital expenditures of the last 50 years. When the, city of, when the state of Virginia uh, set these four jurisdictions in place, they left Richmond without the ability to issue bonds. The city was completely in debt. So it can still just issue, in order to get three new schools and issue bonds for it, uh, the mayor had to put a, a meals tax um, and dedicate the result, the receipts of the meals tax to, to support new bonds because the bond issuers wouldn't do it any other way. We don't have the money. Um, so we need 800 million. And we also need, just so you know it, we need um, between 180 and 200 percent of the money that is used for middle and upper middle income school systems in order to provide equity funding. And equity is the key word here, not equality. Equity funding for public education. It takes more work and it takes more people. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that and we should not call that some kind of bigoted statement. You know, if a kid's basically the first person in his family to graduate from high school and if, in fact, he is traumatized by his environment, it's harder for him to get where he needs to get. And it takes more work and it costs more money. And the city of Richmond gets less money from the state per child, 25% less than Chesterfield County. <coughs> Richmond has the most, in, uh, Virginia has the most inequitable system of school funding in the country. Actually not the most, it's one of the five lowest. So um, what do you want to do about education? You know, we have a new superintendent, a lot of good energy. 
uh, we're going to have to get him money. We're going to have to go after the state. Uh, it's going to take people to kind of help advocate for what is right. Um, we, uh, we're doing a lot of work with trauma-informed care and support of children. We need mentors. It's a very good idea. Um, we, um, we need to work for racial integration and class integration wherever we can do it. It works. If you get a classroom that's integrated or a school that's integrated um, racially, economically, or both, it changes the nature of the school. It's the best way to make sure every kid gets a good shot. Um, we need mentoring. We need, we need programs and energies that go into the school day, not after school, because the number one success determinant for graduating from high school in Richmond is whether or not you can voluntarily show up to a situation. And so after-school programs don't address the number one issue, which is a child who basically hasn't quite got the capacity emotionally, but is creating a separate emotional environment for himself and his peers and not being present emotionally in the classroom. That's our number one problem. After-school programs are for kids who already voluntarily show up or whose parents take them. Great to have, but not the number one problem. Uh, the state of Virginia has a lot of discriminatory policies and funding. We should stop being ashamed of it. Every time somebody prints an article in the paper that says they're spending too much money in Richmond, forget it. I ask you what you'd be paying if you're sending your kid to St. Christopher's and St. Catherine's. Money helps. Uh, doing, using it right helps too. Third thing, and so it's a, a very important moment because these guys who came down from Washington to help us run the school system know that it takes extra effort. They know that if you give the same money to Deep Run and Armstrong, you won't change the equity situation. Third thing, housing. We have, we have um, I'll give you a series of things. We need housing production. Um, Low-income housing has not been built well or much in this country. It's, our, our stock is tremendously depleting, depleting. We have issues of eviction, which you're reading about for a lot of Virginia and Richmond are one of the worst places in the country on that. <coughs> we are developing a community land trust in a, the paper this morning, the Community Foundation gave a million dollars to our community land trust. That's a little trick where you can end up getting people into home ownership uh, for a lower price than the actual cost of, of the land and production. Um, we need dispersed affordable housing. Um, one of the little things that we need is that people get a Section 8 certificate, the landlord doesn't ask them where they got their money. Um, because if he asks them where they got their money, he can say, I don't want you here with a Section 8 certificate. Um, so here's what's going on. On evictions, there's legislation in the General Assembly, which is being supported by Republicans and Democrats, which try, is trying to look at the issue of, of uh, easing out the eviction issue in Metro Richmond. You, you can help support that. Um, the biggest thing we need um, is what you call inclusionary zoning. And um, I think we've got to go there. And that is... Um, if you want a permit to build 150 houses, 
you're going to have to make at least 10% of what you build at 60% of the local median income, not the median income in Henrico for Richmond, but the median income of Richmond for Richmond. Um, and we're going to make you do that in order to have the privilege of building this housing. That law needs to be not only in the city of Richmond, where it really does need to be, but it also needs to be in Chesterfield, Henrico, and Hanover. So, you know, suppose, um, and that needs to be mandatory. Nobody's going to do it voluntarily. And by the way, it works, and people know how to afford it when they're building. It's not rocket science. Um, if you built, uh, they're building these big apartments west of Short Pump, you know, if 10% of those apartments had to be at 60% of median income, there would be 300 families who would have their lives changed because they'd be sitting in the deep run housing project. Now, that's what I'm talking about, about Commonwealth, because what happens with Commonwealth is if you segregate your jurisdictions and then you concentrate your poverty, the people who are individually poor also live in a situation of depletion. So you've got other poor kids jammed into your classroom with you or suffering some, from some of the same issues you are. You have got um, no place to find work. I, I used to do renovations in Churchill, and kids would come to me and say, can I have work? There's no work in Churchill. So you, you have... You have um, it's taken us 30 years to build a grocery store here. And it only happened because of gentrification. So understand the depletion of the environment is one of the main issues. And that's the reason you want to disperse poverty around the community so that it's healthy. It becomes a normal part. Some people, you know, have more than others, but we are in a single community. That you want to get back into this sense that Commonwealth works. One other statistic, if you wanted to rent a two-bedroom apartment in Metro Richmond and, and um, and you wanted to do it on the minimum wage, you would have to work 90 hours a week. It's an interesting fact. Housing costs have gone up in general, so this, this increasing division in wage level is really killing us. <laughs> Final thing is transportation. Transportation is the big win uh, because basically if you get proper public transportation in this metro city, by the way, 90% of the cities in the world have it. We don't have it because we wanted to keep segregation in place. And so therefore the buses stop at the county lines. That was deliberate by the General Assembly and they um, so, but if you, if you get proper public transportation here, which just means running buses down the main arteries, because then people figure out how to get to the main arteries, you make eight, there are only 20% of the jobs accessible in Metro Richmond today by public transportation. So you immediately give the opportunity for employment. Uh, you, you multiply it at the entry level by five, just like that. Um, if, you, uh, if you have public transportation, your minimum wage is increased effectively by a minimum of $4,000 a year just by not having to have a car. 
Um, you enable lower income housing to be dispersed. The reason that lower income housing is not dispersed is that basically you have to have a minimum of $5,000 more a year in income in order to get out to that dispersed housing, therefore you can't get it. By the way, that's why they don't want it. Um, although they'll never say that. Um, not one community college in metropolitan Richmond is accessible by public transportation. So we're talking about moving from 10,000, know, we have this little campus at Reynolds downtown, but it's not, it's not a full service campus. Main campus is three miles from the bus line on Power Road, and it was supposed to be built, built for the city of Richmond. Um, Tyler is not accessible, and the president of Tyler said last month that he didn't want it to be, didn't want public transportation there. I don't know exactly why he did that, but we'll be talking to him soon. <laughs> but how are you going to get trained to get a job to afford a car if you can't get to the community? Really? So this is, you know, in the scripture it's called grinding the face of the poor. Um, you know, it's one thing to be poor, it's another thing to have somebody put his foot on you. And that's what it feels like here. Um, Henrico just put service out to Short Pump and to the airport. Praise God, it's 50 years coming, and you can thank our... You can particularly thank um, our colleague Tyrone Nelson, who worked and fought and prayed for that um, the whole time he's been on the board of Henrico, and Frank Thornton, um, former professor at Virginia Union, for the same. Um, Chesterfield, you know, um, let's story. Chesterfield has got a problem and um, they won't admit it and they don't understand it's not just about them. Um, it's about um, basically their part in the metropolitan city and if I could take this group of people and put you in the Board of Supervisors at Chesterfield for three weeks running we might change it. So it's, you know I don't know what at what point we understand that we don't have to be mixing church and state to advocate for the things that are right, um, that really make this poverty happen rather than just throw charity at people. But um, we have to do that. So how do you do what we need to do? I'm gonna stop. Um, you know, that's, that is the big question. How do we understand our theological passage and spiritual passage and get proper parameters for dealing with larger issues and not simply with personal charity. That's a big problem for churches and we have not solved it. Uh, I do have a couple of thoughts. One is um, find a church in the county, um, same or different race, same or different denomination, and ask them for help. Ask yourself whether or not your thing called a church, that is, you know, I'm not talking about the Holy Church of God, which is all permeating this thing, but your thing called a church. Ask yourself 
whether or not part of the job there is both to educate and pray about the structural needs of the society. You know, whether or not uh, that's just what we're supposed to do. We, we're a gathering of Christian people constantly trying to be informed uh, so the Lord can use us. Um, pick an issue. Not all 10 of them, not all 50 of them. Pick an issue not, and see and, and put your time to it as a community for a period of time. Be prepared to spend five years on it. Find a partner church. And finally, just let me say that anytime you do anything, ask yourself what you can do to cross these jurisdictional lines and knit this community back together. Because I will tell you, that is the fundamental thing that is holding us from effective life. Uh, it was done to mess us up, and we're letting it do that. And it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Um, as, as people in different jurisdictions see the limited life they have created for themselves as the only real context of their action. And they, do, and they further and further push other people into a non-existent place where they don't really know folks and don't really know what's at stake.